You are listening to Rechurched, a podcast aimed at instigating Christians to be Christian. Hey, what's up, everybody? My name is Ethan. You are listening to Rechurched Podcast, and I am with my co-host, as always, Matt Mayer. Yes, yes. What's up, guys? Thank you for tuning in so far. Excited for this episode specifically. Ethan, we're going to pick up where we left off last time. I hope you guys are able to go backwards before you go forward. Listen to the thread, where we've been, why we are teasing out and talking about this theme, church then and church now, closing the gap. I I didn't say it last episode, but I'll say it here. Uh, Church history is not always church biblically. When you study church history, you see things that are done in the name of God. But when you look at them through the lens of the scripture, you learn they're not done in the nature of God. Therefore, just because it's church history does not mean it's in alignment with church biblically. The whole season is designated to get us back to church biblically, the church of Acts. The formation, the foundation, the importance of doctrine, devotion, duty, and all of these things that the Lord has given to his church for such a time as this, right? So where are we at, Ethan? Help us get reoriented around today's episode. Right. So this is a continuation of last episode. If you didn't listen to last episode, um, I don't know, there's no easy way to say this, except you got to listen to last episode really to understand what's going on here. Um, I'm not going to go through all the details of the recap of how we are going to start this episode. But just to break it down, the Roman Empire started and then around Jesus' time um, and the early church had rulers named Nero and then he was succeeded by someone, then he was succeeded by uh, Diocletian. And then during Diocletian's rule, he sort of changed the way the Roman Empire was formulized, formulated. I don't know if formalized is a word, but... That gave way to this whole debacle and rebellion that Constantine sort of arose through. And we're talking about Constantine. It's a continuation of this conversation. But after Constantine became the Caesar of the West part of the Roman Empire, um, he started making changes. Um, actually, before that, during right before the Battle of the Milvian Bridge, which is said to be the place that he was, quote unquote, and I have my quote fingers up, quote unquote, transformed. The sign that he saw right before the battle, which he became, because of his victory, he became the leader of the West part of the Roman Empire. He became a Christian and certain things started happening with his, quote, co-ruler, I guess you could call, co-Caesar of the East, Licinius. So we start, we, we ended, we ended last episode with talking about the Edict of Milan, um, which is the Edict of Tolerance, which basically Licinius, the ruler of the East, was a pagan. Constantine was a quote-unquote Christian now, and the vast majority of the Roman Empire was polytheistic, pagan, were taught to not really like Christianity, but what they signed was basically to tolerate Christians. And so that's like a marker. It's a huge marker because if I was to summarize it in a word, it was universalism. His aim was to bring a universal faith, religion, feel 
to all the people throughout the land without being offensive. Right. Hence the word tolerate. Right. Okay. We're going to tolerate each other. And so that is where we ended literally right there. And where we're going to begin is this idea of universalism. That's right. And Matt, what is, how did universalism lead into the church? All right. So this is where I want to preface everything we're about to say next. If I have any of my brothers or sisters out there who are Catholic, I need you to hang in there, understand the heart behind the podcast it's very easy to shut down and get offended the moment that we would touch on something that is very near and dear to someone's heart, a tradition, a faith upbringing, namely being Roman Catholic. But this is where we get the word universalism, universal. That's what Catholic means. All right. So that word was actually slung around in that time. In the Edict of Toleration, you begin to see the formation of what became known as the Roman Catholic Church. This is about 312 AD, 313 AD, and you begin to see church and state government getting into bed with one another. Does that work? Yes and no. (laughs) Okay, so at the time, if the goal is to bring all the people together under one spirituality... In that sense, yes. In a universal (laughs) sense... This idea behind having one leader, Constantine, who would name himself the very first Pontifex Maximus. I think that's how you say it. Pontifex Maximus. This is a title that would eventually be reduced to the Vicar of Christ Hmm. or the first Pope in the sense of organized religion goes. Right? So I'm going off on a tangent here. They would obviously make their case eventually by throwing it back to saying Peter was the first pope, which would justify this hierarchical approach based on Constantine, based on bringing people together, based on forming one man as the head of the church. Mm. Now, right away, you stop and go, wait a second. I think there's Bible verses that say (laughs) Jesus is the head of his church. Yep. (laughs) And he never gave that authority to man as the head. He gave us the authority to be part of the body as members. Peter was not the first pope. And again, right away, people that are Catholic, they get so offended. You got to understand, Jesus said to Peter that you are a little stone. You are a fragment of the bigger picture. You're a a piece of of the rock. Right. But the rock of your statement from Matthew 16, we covered this a couple episodes ago, that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God, On that giant rock of your confession, I'm going to build my church. Not build it on Peter. Yeah, Peter's not the bridegroom at the end of the the story of the Bible. And and I think Peter eventually writes that the apostles, plural, were one of the cornerstones. He didn't say himself, but that idea was that Christ was building on them as they would be the forerunners that would pass the baton to the first century believers, the second century believers, the third century believers, and so on and so forth, based on what? A confession of faith. Right. Therefore, right away, we are getting misaligned from biblical doctrine. Mm. Constantine declaring himself as the head of both state and church. That's where we stop. (laughs) Red flag, number one. All right? But he doesn't stop there. 
He realizes that Christians who were praying specifically to Christ by way of the Holy Spirit were not submitting to the pagan culture. So what they did was they decided to take this idea behind gods and goddesses. This is interesting. Gods and goddesses. And I don't want to get lost in some of those details, but there was always a god or goddess over areas, over specificities of life, fertility, economy, uh, the weather. I mean, you name it. They had gods and goddesses for. That's pagan. That has always been. So what did they do? They just kind of repackaged that idea behind the god of fertility or goddess of fertility and the god of economy, and they just started to name them saints. Yeah, Mother Mary, Saint Mark. Right. So, right, so right, right away, again, our Catholic listeners out there are getting like, they're like, oh, I can't. I'm telling you, there's nothing in the Bible that should ever have us praying to saints. In fact, there are multiple Bible verses that identify us, the living today, as saints. The saints are the sanctified ones, the called out ones. So you begin to see a paganized Christianity. So now it's okay. You're praying over there to your God and goddesses. Well, we're over here praying to uh, St. Michael and, and, and St. Anthony and the patron saint of this. And, and, uh, and we have statues made for them and, and all these replicas. That's and right. what does that sound like? That's right. Idolatry. So you go back several hundred years into the days of, and actually I would take it all the way back to Babel, but I don't want to confuse people here. In, in Babel, we get a name, Nimrod. Nimrod is the chief architect, a type of antichrist. He is the mastermind behind uniting the people in universalism, mm. creating a tower. We know it as the Tower of Babel, has several translations, Babel, Gateway, El, Babel, God, Gateway to God. So their attempt to open the heavens, their attempt to get to God, but not using the way that God intended for On them to get terms. to him. Yeah. Okay? So now you're getting to see, like, there's nothing new under the sun here. But did you know that Nimrod had a wife? I believe her name was Semiramis. And I might be pronouncing that wrong. She eventually took his leadership after he died and almost created a mystery religion around him. Wow. And then when she eventually died... There were those followers of both Nimrod and his wife that began to call, this is where it gets really weird, began to call Semiramis, and I got to look up her name. The followers of Semiramis began to call her the queen of heaven. Oh, wow. And then you begin to see that same title being passed down from Babel, Babylon, the original Babylon into the Assyrian culture, into the Babylonian culture, into the Persian culture, into the Roman culture. Guess what happened, though? Every single time a new culture or empire rose and fell, they just rechanged the name. So it went from Samaramis to, let's say, um, Asheroth. Asheroth eventually changed their name to Ishtar. Ishtar eventually changed her name to Venus, which was Roman. And then you eventually make your way into this first, second, third century. They're looking for a female goddess that they could worship. Wow. So they reintroduced the queen of heaven. Well, well, who do we know is the queen of heaven? Say Mary. It is Mary. So it's the same wow. spirit behind the original intent. Whew. Yeah. Well, this is where people are like, they don't do their research. I've never seen that. It's unbelievable, oh Ethan. And, and you know why I'm passionate about it right now? Because guess where it shows up? In the book of Jeremiah. Really? He actually calls the people out 
by worshiping the queen of heaven. That's the exact title in the Bible. In That's Jeremiah crazy. chapter 7. We're about to be in that study soon. That's nuts. At our church, Coastal Christian. But why am I bringing all this up? Because there's a lot of things that happened during this time period, 300 plus, that eventually formed the Roman Catholic Church, the institution of what we know as Vat- the, the Vatican, which is a city-state in essence. And then you get the hierarchical presentation from the Pope. Constantine eventually formed popes and bishops. Then you get the priesthood. You get the papacy, and you get a lot of compromise, scripturally speaking. Mm. And we can spend all day talking about how far off a lot of these traditions of man and how they became a form of paganism so that all of the world, universalism at the time, could feel like they're tolerating one another. And the question that I have is, wait, where's the true church? Yeah, What are they doing during this time? Mm. I'll tell you what they're not doing. They're not bowing their knee mm. to a leader. They're not bowing their knee to the traditions of man. They're not compromising the conviction that it is Jesus Christ alone, not his mom, that they Mm. should have been praying to. Mm. Mary is blessed, not above women, amongst women, chosen vessel by God, rightful place in my theology. When when a woman came to Jesus and said, blessed is the breast that um, nursed you, Jesus corrected her. It was a very gentle correction, but it was a correction nonetheless. He didn't receive that and go, you're right. Blessed is my mom as the queen of heaven. Hmm. No, no. He said, no, no. Blessed are those who know my word and obey it. (laughs) That's what he said. (laughs) Think about that. Which is like applicable to all. It doesn't set one person up. That's right. Because because we know the only one that is set above man Mm. is Jesus Christ. It's the name God has given Jesus, his son on earth the name above all names, that every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess. It's in Christ's name that we pray, not in a saint's name. And it's in Christ that we bow the knee. So, you be, and there's so much more. You begin to see doctrines that were formed that were about growing wealth and expanding the church state and property. You begin to see the institution of indulgences, which yeah. is you purchase these indulgences, Ethan, you go knock your socks off on the weekend, my brother. Go have, yeah. have as much fun as you want. Guess what that's related to? Indulgences. I don't know. Progressivism. Oh, yeah. Gnosticism. Yeah, and and it was it was also like you can pay indulgences so that you can get your buddy or family member who died who is in purgatory right. to get them to heaven. Right. It's like, so Wait, what? No basis scripturally. Right. Right. So, and again, this is where you begin to see a thrust from the third century to the fourth century into what we would eventually identify as the dark ages. Mm. So you're seeing a people take the power, the authority, changing the language from the common language to the Latin language, which nobody knew. And then you begin to see a compromise of the true church. Yeah. So you see leaders that. Well, church leaders that align themselves with the state are getting more benefits through the state and, and, and like that, you know, like that those, those positional advantages and, and power advantages that they didn't have before. And then you also have the, you have Christianity become quote unquote trendy. And so you have, like you said, in, in other ways, you have paganism and polytheism infiltrate the church and it's almost that if dude just like back then during constantine the church then i guess you could say 
and historically, we could look to today with the church now of going, the same thing is happening with the visible church, not the invisible church, but the visible church. You have these, and I don't want to take a knock at them, but I kind of do, all these celebrity pastors that are getting twisted and tied with certain political leaders and all that kind of stuff. And what do you get? You get surface level scripture because yep. it's not true. And you, you get a lot of people that are attending these churches, but they don't even know why right. they're attending. They believe other things than just Christ as Lord and Savior. Right. And it, so it's fascinating that we're seeing, like we talked about, cycles happening. Another cycle of this is happening. So Constantine did take that title, Pontifex Maximus, which means supreme priest, right? Which is where we would eventually get the vicar of Christ, right? Christ actually being represented on earth by a figure. We know that as the Pope. Again, this is where I need anyone that has any affiliation with Catholicism. First of all, let me say this, and I probably should have said it in the beginning. I believe there are plenty of Catholics by name who love Jesus, right? who are able to discern the difference between how they should be conducting their faith affairs and following the true Lord. And I believe that, right? And I think Jesus makes kind of a, a subtle allusion to it when he said, hey, I got other, I got other folds out there, hmm. right? There's other folds out there. So don't limit my sovereignty over saving a soul, even right. if they call themselves a Baptist or a Methodist or a charismatic or a right. Catholic and maybe even some Muslims out there who find Jesus, right. right, in their culture. It's about Christ and and declaring him God, forgiveness of sins, resurrection from the dead, and then allowing his Holy Spirit to orient your life. So anyway, I digress. But when you see the formation of a hierarchy in religion, and that's championed by the state, so it's a state religion in essence, you then see a power that is manipulative on right. the people. You see a paganized Christianity. We've already talked about the saints. We talked about the queen of heaven. We talked about the popes and the bishops. But there's this other idea that was introduced. It was the doctrine of celibacy. Mm. Why is that dangerous? Well, first of all, if God has not called you to celibacy, then to force celibacy Mm. on the leaders of the church, the universal church, what do you think that created? They're going to tell a man who's now a priest that, you know what? You can't marry. But Genesis says it's not good for man to be alone. Mm. It's going to create a space where a lot of twisted there you go. sin is going to happen. And what do we know about church history, quote fingers up, and sexual deviancy, if that's even a word? Well, it, historically in the past five years, I mean even, or maybe 10 years, I think five years, we've seen the Catholic church come out with a lot of the fathers molesting little, little kids. kids. Right, so pet- pedophilia. Like thousands of them. Yeah, it's, 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 so first of all, sexual scandals across all party lines, across all denominational divides, but specifically in the Catholic church and priests and fathers. By the way, didn't Jesus say, and again, you gotta know the Bible, did Jesus say, don't call anyone father? Mm. He said that. 
So isn't it interesting that one of the titles mm. given in the Roman Catholic Church is Father. Father. Mm. All right? Some titles are acceptable, but that title specifically is almost a slap in the face of what Jesus said. Wow. Similarly with worshiping Mary, praying to Mary, praying to Saint. All of these are contrary to what Jesus said and his mm. word said. So you get sexual deviancy that was on the rise because a doctrine of celibacy was forced upon wow. its leaders, men and who said you can't marry. And even after they would have a wife pass away, they were told they couldn't marry again. And this is where you begin to see the enemy using and exploiting man's sexuality. That's crazy. It is crazy. It all has its root here. Wow. So, again, I want to make sure our audience is hearing our heart. This is not a bash of the Roman Catholic Church. However, it is an attempt, with as much love as I can muster up, to tell the truth, to call people back to repentance, all right. of us, for being misaligned from God's word. Right. And to rechurch our hearts is to say, wait a second, have I been deceived by the traditions of men? Have I not stopped to look into why I believe what I believe? Right. Do I only believe it because my mom and dad were of this religion or their parents and their parents and how far does this go back? Have right. I stopped to say, wait, do I even read the Bible? Which, by the way, is one of the qualifications to be a believer, right? John said that. He, yep. wrote, a, he wrote a letter. He was like, hey, this is how you know that you know God. You want to follow him and you obey his commandments. And you don't obey commandments if you don't read commandments. Right. <laughs> so this episode specifically showing you the birth of the Roman Catholic Church, the, the, the state church, and showing you how it's not scriptural and how it goes off the rails from the top down, from the naming of popes that were living lives of heresy and lives of immorality to supporting paganistic ideas in the church. Right. And this is where you see the dark ages begin to smother out what was supposed to be a city set on the hill. Mm. So we talked about a lot of spiritual things that Constantine did within the church, but I think it's like, I think it's also important to look at what he did economically or financially for the church, because I think it one obviously benefited the church he was trying to create, but also may have helped the invisible church as well. Um, but I think it's also interesting that some of the stuff that he he implemented, we actually have implemented in the United States. Um, I'm not sure about other countries, but I know our tax laws a little bit. And one of the things that Constantine did financially for the church was he allowed the church not to be taxed by the state, which increased their funding. Right. So it helped the Catholic Church, the one that he was trying to create. But I would I would argue also that indirectly it also helped the invisible church sure. spread the gospel a little bit. And then he also funded a lot of church buildings and whatnot, but funded um it was their post system at the time, the this uh, ability to get a fresh horse and take it down the road. Right. And so it would greatly expedite um communication and um, and journeys and stuff. And obviously that helped the Catholic church, but it also, I would say is an, is something else that had another effect that helped the invisible church. 
And so I think it's like interesting that we still incorporate those things in our country, um, which is, you know, church is not being taxed. Right. And some other benefits as well. Right. Um, so there's good and bad, right? To that, that like it became, they became reliant though on that too, you know, cause they're basing now their budgets and their thing, their, their, their other operations on these promises. And then it was another, it's something else that he, that Constantine or the state can use to manipulate, you know, their cooperation if needed. So it's the blessing and the curse therein. So it's a blessing because the true church, the invisible church is able to tap into the same freedoms or resources while at the same time becomes a curse of sorts because to that end you become tolerant or desensitized or even complacent without persecution. So it's like, we see that now even in America. So if you even trace the origin of our governmental framework, you see there's a similarity. The difference would be we don't have a king or an emperor. We actually had a government that was decentralized Mm. and the creation of several branches to keep a check and a balance in place to the foundation of or I'll say the framework is one of Judeo-Christian values. So mm. you see the impact of the church then in the inception of America now. Mm. So from 1776, the declaration of our independence from a tyrannical ruler named King George to how far we've fallen even in our own land mm. because the church has been compromised. Mm. And the church is now looking more like the culture in the world because we've become more tolerant, right? But... What does God often use to light a fire within the Christian and his church? Persecution. Persecution. What are we seeing currently? We're beginning to see labels being thrown at believers today. You're not tolerant. You're a bigot. You're a hater. And all of these thoughts, they are derived in a form of universalism. Yeah. So while it's separation of church and state, man, people say that, it's actually interesting to see in the end time scenario it's a blending of the church and state again yeah isn't that funny it is funny it's like the the loudest voice separation of church and state and it's like no that's not really what that means (laughs) separation of church state doesn't mean that at all in fact there'd be no state without the church in america (laughs) so and the ten commandments have formulated our judicial system Mm. and if we have fallen far from that then we've departed from god's standard and we need to be rechurched. Yeah. But it's interesting that loud voice of separation of church and state is going to be the same voices mm. in the end time scenario that is welcoming a, a state church. Yeah. Right? With a central figure, perhaps they call it in Revelation the, the, the prophet, right? So you got the beast, the system of the beast. You have a political leader, but you also have a spiritual arm to that. And I believe that that spiritual arm is going to be a global spiritual leader. And there are only two global spiritual leaders that would fit that mold. An imam, the grand ayatollah of Islam, Hmm. or the pope. And it's interesting that we find ourselves back in Babel. Yeah, wow. And back in the days of Constantine. So there's the cycle. It happened in Babel, one world religion, one world economy, one world order, one world government, Nimrod, then the creation of gods and goddesses and pagan culture, and then you make your way 
into the third century with Constantine, and you see a replication of that. It's a spiritual game plan. Isn't it? And God's like looking at all the spiritual game plans that the enemies created, and he's like, I've got the I've got the master plan over here. It doesn't matter. Like it, I mean it matters, but it it is also fascinating that it it doesn't, you know? Like the the plans of the enemy He's 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 realized that he can't affect the church outside in. He can affect it inside out. That's right. And he continues to use that from this point. Right. Constantine. From this point forward, he uses the inside out method. Yep. We're seeing it today right now. It's going to happen in Revelation, the end time scenario. But even with his best strategy of inside out, it still won't be enough to conquer the Lord. That's right. He is over top of, of everything. Right. So that's that's what's encouraging about all this, if you believe in the gospel. But well, our our hope is that you truly believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. That right. no weapon formed against His people shall prosper. We're seeing that in the Book of Esther at our church, as we're seeing Haman's gallows, an antagonist, an adversarial man who is an enemy of the Jews, basically an enemy of God. His gallows are reversed, and he's hung on the very weapon he formed. And mm. you can take that template and say. That's true for the church. Yeah. So whatever's happening in our world, whether it's a state church in the name of universalism and spirituality, and we're in this together and we're building back better and let's just kind of get along and, you know, love is love and all these mantras, the true church, the remnant church, even in the midst of judgment is being refined and purified and pruned. Yeah. And we receive that. So whether it's persecution or oppression or even an internal challenge to be convicted believers for such a time as this and that's what the word does in our lives fans the flame and says dude get up out of the pew and get into the game time is short and you got to know the difference if you have followed the traditions of man it's time to look into the word of god and allow the word of god the holy spirit of god and obviously the son of god to develop your faith for such a time as this this is where we're at so uh, there's so much more I can cover, Ethan, with this particular time period with Constantine and what we see as the state church. I mean, this is where they began to confess to man. Right. This is the usage of priests. Right. Confessing your sins to man. And that sounds yeah. it sounds admirable, right? Because there's a verse in the Bible that says, confess your sins one to another. That's more or less the venting. When I'm struggling, I come to you as accountability. I'm confessing to you, but I don't need to come to you confess my sins. Right. I should not go to a man. Right. I go directly to my high priest, and that high priest, according to Hebrews, is who? Jesus Christ. It's Jesus Christ. Who's the head of the church? Jesus Christ. Who's the high priest? Jesus Christ. Who's the sacrifice? Jesus Christ. Who's the one we pray to and through? Jesus Christ. Like One person. It's one person. (laughs) One God, man. Yeah, so... But we're not going to get into that because we're going to have a whole episode dedicated to a little bit more of the inner workings of the Roman Catholic Church. Um, And I think this is a good place to kind of finish out the history as far as Constantine is concerned um, as we wrap up this episode. So in the beginning of last episode, um, excuse me, not in the beginning of last episode in last episode, we discussed sort of the history about how Constantine, like where he came from, how he became a, a ruler. And he was the Caesar of the West, excuse me, Augustus of the West. And then um, Licinius is the Augustus of the East. So he ends up basically overthrowing 
in summary, overthrowing Licinius and becoming the ultimate ruler. And his decisions at this point is to change the capital, to be more strategic, have a more strategic um, hold on the Byzantine Empire, um, which is modern day Istanbul. Um, and look at you and he named the capital. He named the capital after himself, (laughs) Constantinople. That's where we get Constantinople from ladies and gentlemen after Constantine. What a shocker. Um, and so what's interesting is he was so set on changing the capital to the, to Constantinople, but had no idea the effect that it would have long-term on the Roman empire. So, or, or the, or the church at large. So I don't know if you have anything to add there, Matt, but I, I do. And I, cause I don't want people to miss the point here. While we look at church history, these are the dominant narratives. But when you peel away the layers, you realize the true church, the remnant church, the church of Jesus Christ, they were happily swimming, swimming in their streams, using these freedoms and the expansion of the empire at the time whether in the name of tolerance or in freedom of religion, and they were doing the next righteous thing. And I say that because today, while there's still a freedom, we should be in the public spaces representing a public truth, and that public truth is the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is not a private thing. It is to be a public thing. So while the freedoms exist, I want to make sure I'm tapping into them according to the system that God has us in, which is an American governmental system, a democracy. So yeah, I said earlier in the episode, This war was not going to be won by bullets at the time, not won by ballots at the time, but by biblical boldness. That's true. While at the same time, my biblical boldness can be expressive by engaging in the political system, which is ballots. That's how I allow the salt of the gospel to delay the decay of the day by being in the way until the Lord takes me out of the way. Season one. Rechurched. So again, it's it's another reason why this one human political spiritual ruler never works out, first of all, never works out in the long term. He he decides Constantinople needs to be the new capital. So again, he was the ruler of the West. He moves the the capital to the east to be a more strategic advantage military-wise. But then that leads to a split, not only in the Roman Empire but also the church, which is fascinating that I didn't realize in Rome, you have the Roman Catholic church stay there. And in the East in Constantinople, you have the Eastern Orthodox church. start. Ooh. Right. And at this point I'm thinking, Oh man, we need another episode right. to go through the Eastern Orthodox church. Right. right. <laughs> so, cause, that- cause, cause both these, both these huge, I'll just say denominational, which means name. These yeah. named religions eventually create a wedge and a vein that gives rise to what? I don't know. Say it. <laughs> the religion known as Islam. Oh, really? Oh, yes. We're going to enter into around 
the 6th century, 6th, 7th century, you begin to see this other religion born. And it's out of this idea of religious crusades. Wow. Out of the out of the idea of another leader claiming a vision from God, wow. Muhammad, his God was Allah, and now you begin to see these dominant religious forces hmm. molding the world as we know it. And then the question would be, where's the true church? Yeah. It's really awesome stuff. Man, that's so good. So to just end this out, you have that split, that church split, Roman Catholic Church, Eastern Orthodox Church, and this split and capital change actually leads to, most historians agree, it leads to the fall of Rome. The West that's right. starts just... I don't know, not wanting to be a part of it, really. Well, it crumbles get, based on, um, you know, in a negative, a decentralization of its authority. It spreads yeah. out so much so that you can't control these little city-states yep. and these little provinces and these little communities. Local governments began to make up their own laws and their own culture, to which Caesar, Augustus, the leaders in, in those times, could not control the vastness of the empire to which it imploded. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And so then you have this, uh, I forget his name. Um, but you have this barbarian, I believe barbarian group uh, led by this guy. I think it, it starts with a V, his name. I forget. He destroys Rome, I believe, after this all takes place. Constantinople becomes a new capital. Rome is sort of just less regarded. And then the Roman Empire starts falling apart and right. starts getting ransacked. And then that leads into the Dark Ages. The Dark Ages. An interesting point, just it'll set us up for future episodes, is that while you can denote the fall of these other empires, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, you can't really find a complete fall of the Roman Empire. I would actually say it wasn't a fall as much as it was a fade. Hmm. It faded. Yeah. And it became embedded in the culture. We call it the Western culture hmm. to the formation of Europe. Hmm. Europa, which is 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 a a goddess in in her own right, and it's interesting when you follow all these threads, then you get Great Britain, mm. right? Which he actually Constantine Constantine actually raises army up in York, Britain, right? That the area up. of York, isn't yep. that crazy? And marched is. all the way down. Yep. Wow. And and again, obviously, I'm passionate about that because when you follow the thread, you go, "Where's the torch of the church?" When you see all this formation and the world expanding and the fate of the Roman Empire, where's the torch of the church? Well, you eventually see that that torch go across the seas to the United States of America, to the formation and foundation of a nation to which Daniel 2 is always true. God is the one hmm. that raises up leaders and tears them down, kingdoms and tears them down. Yeah. So you look at it from that vein and you go, what is God up to? with any given empire. And then you realize it faded Roman empire because it eventually resurfaces and is rebirthed where in the end time scenario, mm. according to Daniel's prophecy, Man. which is again, tied into a one world order with a very similar leader who is kind of holding his arms out and saying, no church and state can coexist <laughs> to which the people all follow this right. one leader, like, the okay. Antichrist, <laughs> to which you get the mark of the beast. And it's like, it's all repeating itself. It's all repeating itself. Have eyes to see. But yeah, that's uh we're going to we're going to be sitting here in this time period for a little while. Okay. Um to go through things like the Roman Catholic Church, 
councils and creeds, all that kind of stuff that is happening during this time period. That's still happening today. And it's still happening today. Right. Absolutely. Um, but we see them s- really start surfacing That's at right. this time. Um, so we're going to go through all that and more in the next few episodes. If you haven't picked it up, picked up on it already, we kind of lead and give like some historical context in one or two episodes, really diving into, you know, church history and just history in general. And then we go into some sub episodes that tackle more of the, uh, church centered topics, like let's say doctrine and canonization. We're doing the same thing. We just went through another time period and we're going to kind of park there and go through some of the things that, you know, took effect for the church and dive a little deeper. So we'll see you guys in the next episode. If you like this podcast, we hope you do. We hope that this landed well, although sometimes it can be sensitive because of the, the type of content that we have. We hope that you like the podcast and subscribe. And Matt, what? I've <laughs> taught on some of these ideas from the pulpit and have sadly witnessed people get up and leave the moment mm. I touch on anything with Catholicism. So it's interesting that there's a stronghold, I believe, almost like a mafioso loyalty mm. to a tradition or a religion without really listening to what's being said, right? And I don't know why that is. I guess somebody's entire world would blow up if they had to let go of the religion they were raised in. But I go, mm. listen, what makes me a Christian isn't because I was born into a Christian family. What made me Christian is because I'm born again into God's yeah. family, Yeah. right? And you can translate that. What makes you Catholic is it because it was passed down to you and you were baptized as an infant and you had your um, confirmation? Like, or or are you familiar with the Bible? Right. And it's the word of the Lord that has formed and fashioned your faith, not traditions of men. So please hear the heart behind it. I want to make a, an additional plea with anyone out there, especially somebody who's very quick to share this podcast with one of your Catholic family members or friends. Prayerfully consider. We hope it landed well. Our heart is to truly rechurch the church, instigating Christians to be Christian. Amen. So make sure to like the podcast uh, episode and subscribe to the podcast. Um, share it with your network. We really uh, would, would love to share and to get it out there a little bit more. Um, and if you want to learn more about the podcast, you can always go to rechurchpodcast.com where you can learn more about us the podcast as well as ask a question around this season's topic that we will cover in the q and r episode at the end of the season that's about it we will see you in the next episode god bless